Welcome to A Champion's Mind with your host, Mario Aroyave. Some say the sky's the limit. It isn't. The limit is in your mind. You believe that or else you would not be listening to this podcast. You believe that you could do more. You believe that you can perform at a higher level than you currently are. You are absolutely right. Thanks for being open-minded and allowing this podcast to help you develop a champion's mind. In this podcast, we'll discuss and hear about some mental strategies we can implement to help you achieve your utmost performance. If you feel like you're not performing at your true potential, this podcast will look to give you the keys that can open that lock. Okay, welcome to the Champions Mind Podcast. Today I've got special guest Sebastian Cano, and he is a 2018 Olympic hopeful. So Sebastian, thank you so much for giving of your, what now is a really busy schedule to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Mario. Awesome. So can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what you're currently up to? I recently moved back to Salt Lake City, Utah, about a month ago. I'm out here training for the 2018 Olympics and the sport of long track speed skating. Just getting settled in and uh, getting adjusted to the the workload and the training schedules and all that stuff. But uh, it basically sums up what I'm up to now, just training to become an Olympian. Awesome. That sounds great. Can you give us a little bit of background into the sport, into your what you've been able to do here and... In my case, I came from inline speed skating. That was uh, those are my roots. I represented the U.S. at five world championships. I got a junior gold medal at the 2004 uh, World Championships in Italy, and then in my last World Championships in 2008, which was in Spain, I got a silver medal there in the 3,000 meter relay in the senior category. From there, I switched over to ice, also to try and represent the U.S. in the sport of short track. I did that for about three years when I lived here in Salt Lake City, but through that, I ended up getting a back injury, which led to a back surgery, which sent me back to Miami, which is home. And then not having fulfilled my dream, four years later, I decided I was going back to the speed skating. This time around, though, with an opportunity that presented itself with the Colombian Federation, me being a dual citizen, that was very attractive offer for me, so I decided to take on it and move back to Salt Lake City and train to become an Olympian, which was the dream that I wasn't able to fulfill the first time around, so. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that, like on your social media uh, account the other day, you said something to the effect that you are the happiest that you've been in a long time since you returned to the Olympic Training Center out there in Salt Lake City, Utah, so like, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what inspired that and kind of what was going on and is still probably going on in you? Basically, my life, since I was 12 years old, that was always my dream to become an Olympian and to go through that process and that, that training. When I trained, and I'm basically at my happiest. Like, I was in Miami. I got my degree. I worked public accounting, and I enjoyed that. But to me, like... Being doing this, skating, training, being in the process, having that goal, being in this environment with all these athletes, everyone having the same common goal, which is, you know, to get better, faster, stronger, and to try and make the Olympics is just something very hard to describe because what every athlete dreams of and to be actually involved in that is just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like a great feeling. So yeah, it's basically what that, I guess post 
was referring to is that this is something I missed a lot and therefore is why I'm back out here. Yeah, awesome. For, for those listening, and I'll interject, you know, every once in a while, don't miss out on what he said. He talked about, he said two things. He talked, he said process and he said goals. And I don't even know if he realized he said that because when you get athletes of this caliber, a lot of times that just becomes part of their DNA. But training, living, breathing, for him now, what is the ice skating, what was before the inline skating, being a part of the process of getting better and improving. And then obviously he ties into that goals and the fact that he's got things he wants to accomplish. And then double that down. And he's now at the Olympic Training Center where pretty much everybody walking around has that mindset of process, of goals, of getting better, of pushing each other to be Olympians, to be the best in the world, to bring home medals. So if you're listening to this, don't miss out on that. I mean, this is what, this is the kind of environment, this is the kind of mindset that you need to have, right? So in order to, in order to be successful or in order to put yourself in a position to be successful. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about his journey here. Again, I know Sebastian personally, and I met him when he was already back in Miami, and he had taken on a little bit of, he got into cycling for a little bit, coming off of world-class inline. But notice that he go he went back to the, the ice, and he went back to the Olympic Training Center. There was some unfinished business there. There was that, I feel like I can be better. Let me go back after it. And so there's also that, right, the ambition of a championship-caliber athlete that just is not willing to settle or is not willing to leave any kind of a possibility of any of not having done their best out there. And so there's still some of that left in Sebastian, so that's why he's there, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. So awesome. I, I want to talk. Okay, so let's take it back to the beginning and talk about kind of that moment maybe or moments, that time in your life when you felt like, hey, you know what, like I, I think I can make a run at this. I, I feel like I have what it is to be a professional inline skater like when was that so i started skating when i was 12 years old and it's funny how it all happened because my mom decided she was leaving columbia when in 1999 moved out here with her two boys my brother and i andres and i uh and when the house we moved into belonged to my mom's really good friends but her sons happened to be Colombian skaters and they were world champions at that so when we moved into that house they didn't live there but they would come in for competitions and stuff like that and so basically when they would come we would go watch them and see them wearing those short tights and back then I was like oh no I want to do aggressive skating look at the ramps I'm talking about Brian Piccolo Park down in South Florida has the the velodrome and the the skate park and everything else they used to race there, and back then I was like, nah. And then fast forward about seven months after that, I was wearing the same tights and wearing speed skates. So that's basically how it all began. At the time, it was for fun, though. No really expectations, just doing it because I liked it. You know, it was fun. I had my friends there and stuff like that. And then now fast forward to this was in 2001-ish. In 2003 is when I started getting pretty good. I was still like 14, 15 years old. But then, you know, like as you start progressing and getting better, you start having or setting goals. You want to, okay, now I'm here. Now I want to go even faster and even faster and so on. 
I was lucky to have my coach, Bob Manning, who was an incredible technical coach, is one of the best. I mean, Eddie Alvarez, who's a silver medalist at the Olympics, came from Bob. Jennifer Rodriguez, also from Miami, bronze medalist at two different Olympics, and speed skating as well on ice, also came from Bob Manning. So I was very fortunate to to start my career with someone of that caliber that could mold me into the skater that I was becoming. So in 2004, it was the first time I went to the U.S. trials. And right then and there, I was already very competitive and skating really well. At that point, my goal was to, to make the junior world team. And the trials for inline skating are always in Colorado Springs at the velodrome, at the 7-Eleven velodrome over there, about a couple of from the Olympic Training Center. Basically, since that moment, I just knew, you know, I was already around the best of the best and surrounding myself around those kind of people and those athletes, it was just made you want to become better. And then starting from my first world championship on, as a matter of fact, I made my first team on my very first race at that trials because that year they had uh, whoever won the 300 meter time trial, which was a sprint race, of course, automatically was on the team no matter what. And that was my very first race. I remember, I remember the time, which was a 27-2, which is not very fast nowadays because the wheels have gotten bigger and technology, you know. Like, But I made my team on my very first. And a lot of people didn't know me. They were like, who's that kid? He doesn't even look American. He lives, you know, <laughs> show us your passport. <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> but I had a lot of friends already that knew me and whatnot. So it was a pretty cool experience. And then from then on, I made the team in 2005, which we went to China. That was my first senior world championships. 2006, I went to Korea. At that point, 2006, basically is when the Torino Olympics happened for ice. And kind of at that point, I started like kind of thinking, I gotta, at some point, I gotta make the switch over to ice because inline is not an Olympic sport. And the only way to, to be an Olympian is going to be to switch over to ice. And the reason why that even crossed my mind is because I got two examples. Derek Para, who was an inline world champion, represented the U.S., he switched over to ice in like 1996. And in 2002, at the Salt Lake City, at the Salt Lake Olympics, 2002 Winter Olympics, I hear we're here in Salt Lake City which were held at the same facility that I train at now. He won the gold medal in the 1,500-meter race and a silver medal in the 5K race. So this is someone that, you know, I looked up to always, but then this, he was like older generation. For my generation, the top dog was Chad Hedrick. Uh, he's actually from Texas. He's from Houston, Texas, and he was 52-time world champion on inlines. And because you're a world champion at whatever distance you compete in, right? So it's not like mm-hmm. a world title. Every gold medal for every distance you get, you're a world champ, right? So he won 52 titles, including some relays, but mostly individual races. And uh, he switched over to ice in 2003. In 2006, he was freaking superstar in Torino. Just three years after switching over mm-hmm. ice, he won the 5K. He got a second in the 10K. He got a silver and the 1500 meter. And so at that point, 
basically, I knew personally that I wanted to switch over to ice because all these inliners had had so much success in the transition. Mm-hmm. I was not the only one thinking it. The Olympic Committee actually put a program together to fund the top inliners after the 2006. Basically, in 2006, somewhere, remember, they contacted the guys that had made the inline team, and they were like, hey, next year, you, know, you guys are invited to come out to Salt Lake City. You guys are going to get all this, you know, this much money for funding, free ice time. You're going to have a really good coach. My coach was actually Derek Para at first. He was the one in charge of the, it was called the WHIP program, the Inline Wheels to Ice program. Mm. And so I got invited in that uh, group of skaters. Some people made it out here early 2007 because they didn't make the, the 2007 team. For us that made the inline team for 2007, we had to fulfill that, uh, I guess that, I guess not requirement, but we had already made the team, so we had to go to Cali, Colombia uh, to skate at the World Championships. And then lines in. As soon as I got back from that trip, I moved out here in, in September 2007. I moved to Salt Lake City, and then I started doing short track speed skating. That's what I was working towards uh, in 2010. I was in March two th- actually no March 2009. I was a national champion in the 500 meter and the 1500 meter, and I got second in the thousand. And then. In summer of 2009, leading up to Olympic trials, is when I had my back injury. This is about a month before Olympic trials, which they held them in September of 2009. So I had the qualifying times for everything, and I basically missed out on the latter stages of the training, which is you start working on speed and deloading and all that stuff. And so I had to get a cortisone shot about a week no, like 50, like two weeks before Olympic trials, I wasn't able to skate for about a week, and I started skating maybe like three days before trials. I went and competed over there. It was in Marquette, in Michigan, Marquette, Michigan, up in the UP, upstate Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And I competed, and I was 18 out of like 15 guys, but only five guys made the team. And so after that, I continued training. I trained through December and then I got new MRIs the injury had gotten worse and so at that point I was like all right get off the skates schedule the surgery for March and the the reason why I got the surgery is because I wanted to come back it's the only Mm -hmm. and but things kind of fell apart after that you know like the recovery was like six months so I went back home for the six months I stopped getting the funding because I didn't get I wasn't competing to get the points necessary for the funding Mm-hmm. And then I started school because I hadn't started school. I was already 23. And so basically that's kind of how it, it kind of went. But I guess, you know, going back to the actual question, I kind of like went through the whole thing. But the reason, you know, I it, it, this was uh, something that I wanted to be since I was very young. You know, six, yeah. 16, 17 years old. I, you know, I was like, I need to go to the Olympics. Like that's my ultimate dream. Because for us on inlines, the ultimate you get to the world championships that's that's the top of the top that there's nothing higher than that you have pan am games and things like that but the world championships is where everybody is at right yeah that's you know that's as far as you can take it so the next step was switching over to ice and trying to give the olympic dream a shot there you go 
talk to us a little bit about is there a mindset shift kind of you're you're a kid you're younger right and you're like oh yeah I want to go to the world you're an inline so I want to go to the world championships that will be great that's the highest I can get and now over here switching over to speed to ice where you're like oh I want to be an Olympian is there a mindset shift as that begins to get closer because it's like it's you start off and it's like yeah, I want to get to the world championships, but it's like so far away. It's you got to work and you got to do all these things. And it's like you don't have the times yet. Maybe you're not as fast. Right. And kind of little by little things start happening. Like, is there a mindset shift there? And like, when does it happen? Well, as far as the mind shift, I mean, I think you don't really. I mean, when I was younger, like I'm just give you an example. Like the first time I made the team in 2004, I didn't really embrace it maybe as much as somebody that has been there and done it and not only being my first time but becoming a world champion on my first a very very first one like that was it's hard to explain that because it's don't even like after it was done like celebrating like some people were like why aren't you happier like why aren't you like screaming like I was like I don't know is this it's surreal like you know I had never been there so I didn't now looking back at it, I was like, man, I, sh- I would have been jumping. I- now I would have been jumping around like a maniac. Like, how <laughs> often are you able to get out an opportunity like that? But it's just, I feel like when you're younger, you don't really appreciate it as much as you should. And, you know, getting there, it's it's a little different. Like, how can I explain it? You can... You have to be mature enough, I guess, to to know what you're after. When I went out there, I didn't really know much. Like, my first world championships, I had no expectations. I had no idea what I was up against. I had never competed against skaters of that caliber. And I was training with the best because the U.S. team was one of the best teams. But I had never been exposed to that. So I didn't really get a chance to, to, to kind of have that change in mindset, I guess you can say. Moving on to, to 2005, though, I, not only was it my second year on the team, but it was my first year racing with the big boys. I was a very small kid, and it's just you really start thinking, like, this is going to be a process. It's not going to just happen overnight. And you have to kind of know you're training to be the best, and but you have to be realistic as well. Like, it's my first year. I'm up against the best of the best, and these guys are 50 pounds heavier than me, legs are twice as big, or three times, you know, like, so, in in a way, you have to be strong mentally, to the point where you're like, you're, again, going back to, you know, part of the process, like, in being my first year as a senior, it was impossible for me to think, oh, I'm going to just go up there and kick, some people do, because some guys are more developed, or things like that, but in my case, it was a working process. Like, mind you, my first medal in, in, in the senior division didn't come till 2008, which was mm-hmm. three or four years after my first senior world championships. So, of course, I was a lot stronger. I was a lot faster, smarter, things like that. So I feel like uh, that's kind of like as you get older and then, then, you know, everyone's situation is different. So the whole mindset, the switch in the mindset that we were talking about earlier, that just comes with each individual scenario. Like, it's, 
was going to have the drive, the mentality that, that you're going out there to do your best and you got to set the, the mark high. Oh, you always have to set the, your goals high. Higher than you, and then you have to believe it too. That's not just like you're just going out there. Like every time, I mean, my first world championships in the senior division, my best race was probably in the marathon, which we got a marathon at the world championships on inline compared to like, compared to like cycling, you could maybe say it's like, like a road race almost. It's basically what a road race is to cycling. And you have, if you look at the Olympic road race, you have all the entire U.S. team, the entire Swiss team, the Colombian team, all the teams out there, and that's basically all it was. And that was my best race in the sense that we got six out of the seven guys that were competing on a breakaway, on a 15-man breakaway, which is basically the entire U.S. team on that breakaway. And so we were able to control the whole thing and attack and, Ended up getting, I mean, I personally didn't get the win, but we worked for one of our guys who was a really good sprinter, and he took the win. So it was a awesome experience at that, but uh, individually, it wasn't my best performance, but we worked together really well as a team and got the gold medal for the U.S., which was pretty neat. Yeah, going back to your 2004, you were world champion just out of the gate, and you were celebrating but not necessarily celebrating as much as other people thought you should have and that whole thing i think that sometimes that happens and that's more of a normal occurrence than some people would think and i think part of the reason is a lot of higher level athletes will tell you that the fun that the enjoyment that the excitement that the adrenaline that it's all in the journey that it's all in the process. And then once you get to the Olympics or once you get to the World Championships and you do the thing and you achieve whatever goal you've been working at for, man, we're talking Olympics. I mean, people are training four, eight years just to get ready for one day of competition. Yeah. That four to eight years, that's so much time. And that's where the fun is. And that's where the excitement is. And the competition is basically, I mean, not to, to boil it down, but it's basically like the, the, where you get to show off the four to eight years that you've been working for this thing, six years you've been working for this thing. So a lot of times it's like you get there, you do it, you win, they play your anthem, and then you're standing there going, oh, wow. It's kind of like a lot of people out there, when they talk about their weddings, like I, I can talk about my wedding and I'm like, man, I don't even know who was there. Like there was all this anticipation and build up for the wedding, and then the wedding happened, and I can't even remember who the guests were. Like it went so <laughs> fast. And so with a lot of athletes, there's that. It's like, but the fun part was like the sweat. The fun part was the working out. The fun part was actually the early mornings and actually like having to watch what I ate and actually getting to sleep, even though it didn't seem like fun then, like that's where the chase was. Like that's where the adrenaline was. And then the competition was just so fast and and then and boom, and then it's gone. And another thing tied to that is a lot of times like you guys are standing on the podium and then it's like, okay, what's next? Like, okay, I got to take a break, but then, okay, so I get in the weight room and I can start doing this and then, and I'm working. Okay, so four years from now is the next one. And you're just on to the next one. And it's like, people don't realize it's, you're constantly, right? You're like constantly running after something. And Hungry. so, Hungry for yeah, more. so it just, what's that? Hungry for more. You taste, you get a taste of it and you want to keep having it. You get a taste of being on the top of the podium and you just want to be there every time. And right. That and, and so yeah, it's 
So. Yeah, it's, it's that persistence and that that drive that even a back surgery and a return to your hometown and a degree and a job, right? Even that can't keep you away. Like you, that drive is still in you and that's why you move back, right? It's like, it's still there. And we'll get to, athletes will get to a point where that drive is no longer there, you know, and then it's like, okay, whatever reason, there's a million different reasons for that. But until it's extinguished, man, you can't hold a champion down. They're going to keep competing. And people are like, dude, why are you still out there? You're, you're so old or you're not as fast as you used to be or you're not this or you're not that. And it's because there's still something there. That drive, that passion is still there. Like that, yeah. that athlete still believes that they can improve somewhere. They may not be yeah. faster than they were when they were 15 years old. But the faster becomes relative. There's still something there that they feel they could get better at. And that's it. That's enough to keep them in the game. So, cool. Well, you've reached a high level in skating, both inline, ice now. What did it take? What is it taking now to get there? Give us a snapshot of that. It's going to – it takes hours. I'm talking eight hours a day. I wake up, basically, we're in the in the summer training phase, which is uh, the preseason phase of our training, right? So getting all the general fitness back up, getting the specific uh, skating uh, position strength, which is basically in the squat position for long periods of time, just hold or one leg squats and just holding that position. So there's a lot of exercises and things that that are done to to build that. So right now, like a day or a typical week. We're doing three-week cycles right now. So we do two hard weeks and a recovery week. So on a hard week, which my last hard week was last week, we train. We're basically at the training facility at 7.30 in the morning on a late morning. And we probably don't leave till about noon. Get about a three- to four-hour break. And then we're back at the Oval at around 3.34 and then we're done by like seven o'clock, seven thirty. Mm. In that time period, we do a lot of different things. Uh, we do a lot of work, running workouts. We do a lot of plyometrics, a weight training three times a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we do cycling as well. So on the Thursdays are usually our active recovery days, even on hard weeks. So we'll have like a easy two hour spin on the bike or a 90 minute spin on the bike. And then off the rest of the day, uh, Fridays are pretty tough days. We usually have the weights. Then we we'll get on the ice for a couple of hours and then finish off with some running uh, excels and things like that. And then the afternoon, we go back in for just a crazy workout that usually involves plyometrics, a lot of running, weight vest workout with skating position intervals in that sense so you basically do you build up to the downtime but just to give you a little idea of what we do let's say it's a 35 minute workout right part of the workout is that 35 minute workout so Uh we'll do three minutes down three minute jog so three minutes down meaning whatever position whatever exercise the coach wants us to do it'll be in the skating position down at the bottom so you're just building lactate for three minutes in that position, whether it's side-to-side skating or up-downs, just one-leg uh, squats or things like it, you know, it varies, but it's basically to build that tolerance to the lactic acid, which we build probably one of the sports that builds the most 
in that sense because we're at such an aggressive position and we're always at a 90 degree angle with our legs. So it's, mm. it builds a lot of lactate. So we train a lot for that. And that's just one thing. The hardest aspect of this sport is uh, the technical aspect. It's a very, very technical sport. You are the machine. You are, you're the frame. You're going to build more speed having really good technique and really good pressure on the ice. So a lot of little things when we do these exercises are to build that technique. And we have to have eyes at all times. It's not just like, oh, here's the training program. Go do it. Coaches have to actually be physically there. So you get instant feedback on what you're doing and how you're doing it. And if you're pushing correctly, just a little twist uh, you know, at, your, at your knee or a little you push off your right leg. And if you're pointing the toe out too much, like little things, little details that will make big differences on once we get on the ice. It's just very detailed sport. This is not going away. Not only is it fit demanding physically, but the technique part of it is just as important, if not more important, because if you could be the strongest athlete in the world, be fat, you could be, you have the best VO2 results, you, the most lactic acid tolerance you can have, but if you have no feel on the ice and you don't have the technique properly, you're not going to do anything with that. You can, you might be great on a bike or you might be great running or something like that, but for it to translate to skating, it has to be technically sound and perfect, basically. So every day. So is it encouraged for you guys to do, like, imagery type stuff? I mean, just seeing yourself in the position successfully and doing the right things and focusing on. If you have a tendency, I don't know, you, you mentioned your knee. You mentioned having a toe up. If those are your tendencies, it, do they also say, hey, Give yourself some cues that will remind you that these kinds of things are your bad habits so you can get rid of them. I mean, is there all that kind of stuff going on? Absolutely. This is, you know, we don't really work with a sports psychologist anymore. I mean, I I definitely have worked with plenty like throughout my career. And one of the things that you always have to do is thinking ahead, always being the imagery aspect of it, like seeing yourself doing something so that has to be a part of, of what you do. And then on another, I guess, and specific, you know, skating specific, my coach always tells us there's no mindless skating. So whatever we've been working on off the ice, think about those things that we worked on off the ice. And you're not just skating. You have to be thinking about what you're doing, uh, right? So... Whatever it is, whether, you know, you're on a bike, whether you're uh, playing soccer, whether whatever it is, you always want to improve and you always want to, those things that you learned while you were training off the ice or whether you were on the ice training on those things, when it's competition day or even prior to that, you have to constantly be thinking about those kinds of things and be thoughtful and, and really like apply yourself and work to to improve on those things that you were doing wrong previously. And a lot of times, too, like, for us, like, we not only have to, you know, sometimes we we see a lot of video and whatnot, right, because to to, to see feedback, to see what we're doing, but you also have to feel what you're doing, right? So it becomes the natural thing. Know what it feels like to do it right. So basically that's 
you not only have to think it, you have to feel it, you have to, everything has to come in, into play when it comes to things like that. Thanks for listening to A Champion's Mind. As you continue to implement the content discussed here, you'll move closer and closer to performing at your utmost potential. Keep challenging yourself and don't settle until you achieve your goals. If you can't wait until the next episode to do some more work on your mental game, head over to utmostperformance.org where you can find some more content to consume. You can also like our Facebook page, Utmost Performance. We sincerely value your support as we continue to partner together to help you perform at your utmost.